share this morning. It is better to give than to receive. It's likely that sometime in your life, perhaps when you were growing up, you heard this line. Or you might have heard it as, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Either way, that line probably came to you from the mouth of a parent or a teacher who said it to you as a way of discouraging you from always having an expectant childish handout looking to receive a gift or a treat. Or maybe it was taught to you in a more positive spin as a way to convey the joy of generosity, of giving. Giving is a way of saying, I see you, you're important to me, and I wanna make sure that you have everything you need. It's a tangible way of conveying one's love. As a parent of an adult child who doesn't need me in the way that she once did, it's been my delight as my daughter has set up housekeeping post-college to help Eli furnish her first apartments. Whether I'm shopping at a brick or mortar, brick and mortar store or online at Amazon, if I see something that I think might be useful in a startup apartment, I buy it and send it along. Giving is great, but is it really better than receiving? If all of us are out there doing a bunch of giving, who is there to receive our gifts? Givers need receivers. There are two parts to the equation. And despite the ease with which we received things as children, receiving can be difficult. Receiving can make us feel vulnerable, needy, unworthy, maybe even beholden if we feel like whatever is being given has some strings attached. Or maybe we see that the person doing the giving can't really afford the money or the time or whatever it is they're offering, and so we're reluctant to take their gift, not wanting to be responsible for someone overextending themselves. While we recognize and admire and call attention to the generous giver, we often overlook the important role of the receiver ignoring just how difficult that role can be. And because it's hard, sometimes we don't do it very well. Several years ago, when I was on staff at another church, I went on a mission trip to a small, poor, rural town in southeast Mexico to visit our companion parish there. For a couple of nights, we stayed at homes of local families. And the host family that my daughter and I stayed with that year was a household of six. Grandma and Grandpa, Mom and Dad, and two young children, all living together in one extremely modest home. As guests, we were put into a bedroom. Well, actually, the bedroom, which had two double beds, which potentially meant that we displaced anywhere from two to four people, maybe more. We wondered where everyone else was sleeping. Maybe there were rooms we couldn't see that contained extra couches or hammocks or beds. On our second night, we had at least a partial answer. As I made my way to the back room where the cistern was located to wash and brush my teeth, I passed Grandma, unfolding a large sheet of cardboard in the front room. When I came back from brushing my teeth, I discovered what the cardboard was for. There was Grandma, this tiny little elderly woman who'd been up since 4.30 that morning, stretched out on the cardboard, atop the concrete floor, fanning herself with her scarf, 
While not 10 feet away, we slept in beds with the house's only electric fan blowing across us to provide some relief from the hot, humid, still evening air. To be strangers, welcomed into someone's home and given the very best they had, was a humbling experience. Had I known any more Spanish than por favor and gracias, I would have insisted that grandma take one of the beds. I later learned that that would have been an incredible breach of etiquette, an insulting refusal of the family's generous gift to us. Receiving a gift that I had no way to repay and for which I couldn't even adequately express my appreciation was terribly difficult. Throughout the whole book of Genesis, up to the passage we heard today about Abram, who will later be named Abraham, the stories have been about God giving or trying to give and humanity turning down God's generous gifts. Our track record of being ungracious, unwilling receivers stretches back a long way. In the Garden of Eden, God offers to Adam and Eve everything they need to live and flourish and prosper. God made it special for them and gives them this paradise not because Adam and Eve earned it or because God sought to receive something in return, but just because it's God's nature and delight to give. Adam and Eve are content to receive God's beautiful paradise until they come across that one thing that they're instructed they can't have, and then the getting of that one thing becomes more important than anything else. They prefer the chance to do things on their own, be their own agents, rather than receive gifts from God. And once they reject what God wishes to give, it dramatically and forever alters their relationship. Generations later, the descendants of Noah, who survived only because they were recipients of God's gift of protection, they got together to build a tower into the heavens to make a name for themselves, the scripture says, to be on par with God. The urge to nudge God out of God's role as loving giver to attain that place themselves was strong. And as soon as they built that tower, again, it dramatically and permanently altered their relationship with God, not for the good. And then we come to Abram, or Abraham, the passage that we heard today, where God offers to make Abraham and his descendants God's special chosen people is pretty much the first time we hear about Abraham. Before this, all we know of Abraham is his genealogy that he's descended from Shem, one of Noah's sons, through 10 generations. There's no mention of special qualifications or Abraham being especially good or righteous. In fact, the thing that may be the most outstanding about Abraham is that he agrees to be the recipient of gifts that God wants to give. The things God offers to Abraham are valuable indeed. Even though they're well past childbearing age, God promises to give to Abraham and Sarah, give children to Abraham and Sarah, so they will finally have descendants to inherit their land and wealth and carry on their names and their stories. Abraham will have the opportunity to be a great patriarch, a dream he'd given up on. But receiving this gift isn't comfortable or easy. God asks Abraham and Sarah to uproot themselves from their home and travel to an unknown, unnamed land. 
And though there's no clear explanation from God as to why God can't start the great Abrahamic dynasty from the place Abraham and Sarah already are, I wonder if the reason is that when we're a little unsettled, a little unsure of ourselves, we're more open to leaning on others, more open to accepting help, more willing to trust, more open to receiving whatever gifts God sends our way. Abraham and Sarah end up receiving all sorts of things they might not have otherwise had they stayed in their own land. In the course of allowing themselves to move and be unsettled, they learn to trust God, and they come to know God's trustworthiness. They learn what it is to be strangers, refugees, and to rely on the hospitality of others. They learn to be open and vulnerable, to take in all that comes to them and experience it as gift. These lessons become part of what they pass on to their descendants, and perhaps they're the very things that help future generations to survive and thrive. At Trinity, I've recently introduced to our lay leadership teams, the vestry and the heads of the various ministries, a book that we're, we'll be reading together and discussing over the coming year. It's called The Art of Asking, and it was written by the musician Amanda Palmer, whose whole model of making, performing, and selling music is based on being an open and vulnerable receiver of gifts. She and her band don't charge for music downloads or for concert tickets. People are invited to pay what and as they wish. And what began as a financial necessity years ago has morphed into a common practice. Amanda and her band don't book themselves into hotels but rely on the hospitality of strangers to give them places to stay. Couches, floors, spare bedrooms. And people give them things to eat. She likens this crowdsourced way of making a living to the crowd surfing that she often does at a concert, falling into a crowd and allowing herself to be caught and carried aloft. This process of receiving the freely given gifts of others keeps Palmer in close touch and close relationship with her fans in a way that never would have happened otherwise. During the season of Lent, we often speak of preparing ourselves or denying ourselves or taking on some spiritual practice or discipline as a way to what? I'm not sure we're always clear about why we're doing what we're doing. Are we doing or not doing things in order to make ourselves more attractive to God? Are we trying to make our sacrifices and disciplines into some sort of offering that will earn us God's favor? What if, instead of trying to polish up our spiritual resumes, what if we took our cue from Abraham and Sarah, from Amanda Palmer and her band, and figured out ways to unsettle ourselves, to open ourselves to uncertainty, risk, and vulnerability, in order to practice trust and being on the side of receiving? What if we gave up our desire for control, for certainty, for self-sufficiency, gave up skepticism, suspicion, and fear? What if instead we practice throwing ourselves out into the universe, crowd surfing with God, 
and trusted that the good things God has already given to humanity would carry us along. Things like hospitality and kindness, compassion and acceptance. They are out there. Truly, they are. What if we stopped worrying about trying to form and reform ourselves into what we think God wants us to be and instead opened ourselves just exactly as we are to receive what the God of Easter wants so badly to give us, gifts of resurrection, hope, and life. What if? Amen. Amen.